cliffcentral.com. All right, it is time for the burning platform, which this morning is going to focus on a number of things. We had the budget speech yesterday. We got to talk about international politics. We got to talk about uh, our own local politics. And to help us join in all of these conversations, we have none other than Pumi Mashiko, who's in the studio in Johannesburg, Canton Pile, who's also right over there, and Jonathan Witt, who's also sitting in the studio this morning before he goes off to save lives. Uh, so, lady and gentlemen, how are we all this morning? Are we very optimistic about the whole world because we saw Enoch Godongwana and now all our fears are allayed? Let's just have a show of hands. Anybody? <laughs> Everything's great now. Everything's fantastic. I, I, I listened to, listen to Putin's speech and, you know, it just made me feel so chilled and inspired. You know, it was good there was one grown up in the room. Right. Okay. Well, Canton, uh, we've got to sort out your sound. It's, uh, it's very yeah, soft. Yeah. There we go. There we go. It's just a couple of levels on the board. And how do I turn down uh, these? Yeah. Thanks. Sorry, technical. Uh, technical. Uh, Was that good? You see, this is why I didn't. This is why I didn't bother coming into the studio this morning because uh, I, I thought I maybe that you guys would have it under control. Gareth, you All just right, wanted so. to not deal with the traffic coming down from Centurion. No, no, it wasn't. No, no. I've got a. I've got a good reason. We've got a big event tonight, and I knew that if I was there at you know five thirty this morning, and we were only going to start our other event at like six o'clock tonight, that I was going to have all these problems. Doctor Mark was talking about just before. Uh, the show that you guys have joined now. So I thought probably better to make a decision about that this morning. But we've got so much to talk about, guys. And everybody on the on the show this morning, very familiar to our guests. And the nice thing is that we don't have any other guests who are experts in a particular field. So we can talk around all of these issues and catch up on a couple of them. The reason I thought it was a great idea to bring Jonathan back in is because the other day, Pumi, while we were talking about the, the interminable problems in the ANC, he made some very funny comments to me. Um, after he listened to the show later on in the day, he's like, Hey, by the way, I just have to take issue with a few of these, these things that people are saying about the ANC. And I thought that would be a great place to start because I'm actually quite sick of talking about them. But with this Andre Dereta story, with uh, Pravin Gordon jumping on board that story, with the budget speech yesterday, it's probably not a bad place to start. So let's, let's go to you, Jonathan. What do you want to vent about there? And, and what's your point of view on all of this? On the ANC, Gareth, what are you referring to? I say many things on a weekly basis well, about the ANC. You, um, you said to me, you said to me a while ago that you actually think that it's it's becoming boring to keep looking at what's wrong with the ANC because that's the the cancer at the heart of South Africa. And even in the comments section, we see people saying, "Oh well, you know, ANC just corrupt, rotten thing." And what's the point of even talking about this? So, I mean, where are you in terms of of when you watch the news or if you if you have to hear things from people like Pravin Gordon, what what is your default setting, and kind of how do you get how do you get something useful out of that? I mean, my default setting is they are what they are, and they're on autopilot at this point. I mean, there's there's nothing new to come from that party. Uh, they're not of any particular interest. Um, they're not going to do anything different. Uh, there's no, there, there's not much to talk about. Whatever you could have said about the ANC five years ago, you can say today. Um, there's no one new coming. <clears throat> if you listened to 
uh, this show, if you listen to things like the Renegade Report, if you listen to any kind of uh, alternative sort of commentary in the last five to ten years, they told you exactly what the ANC was and what they were going to do. And in fact, they did that while the economists were saying Cyril was our great hope, while they were telling you that, uh, you know, the new dawn was coming, that uh, things were going to get better just around the corner. Um, the ANC is a essentially a communist um, organization who have I- implemented the, to the best of their ability that ideology in this country. Um, that's now reaching sort of its death spirals uh, in terms of what more they can do with it. And uh, there's not there's not much more to say. They're they're kind of boring. It's the same as Enoch Gondonguana's speech. What do you what do you sort of expect out of that? What do you think he's going to say? What new stuff is he going to bring? What could they possibly bring? Uh, I know Pumi says you know they've got to bring new ideas, and she's right. But the ANC is never going to do that. Um, they're not the party to do that. They they will not be the party to do that. Certainly not in their current iteration. Um, I just think you can kind of predict everything that's going to happen, and many people have over decades now um, predicted what is going to happen by the way that party presents itself and what they tell you they are and what they tell you they're going to do. There's nothing left in terms of you don't have to watch the news to know these things. I mean, mm-hmm. you were talking about um, the Raiders interview. I haven't actually seen it, but I've seen sort of commentary around it um, and what mm-hmm. he kind of said and alluded to. What did he say there that we didn't all already know? There's That's nothing- what Bumi said, yeah. There's nothing of, of, there's nothing new. It is what it is. Yes. The ANC steals at every opportunity. Everything this government does is an opportunity to steal. Everything. Every new piece of legislation creates either a new department, which is a way to deploy new cadres to salary jobs, or it's a new process created. Remember, you ha- you're not allowed to um, uh, take your tires. If you have your tires replaced a few years ago, they made it illegal for you to actually take those tires away from the tire place. So you have to leave it with the tire place, and then they added a fee onto your tire replacement because they're very worried about the environment, Gareth, hugely worried about the environment. Um, <laughs> No, that's complete bullshit. All those fees, like the fees for the plastic bags, like the fees you pay on a new car for carbon credits, all of that shit is the way to steal. Now, in another country, see, this government looks at stuff and goes, ooh, look what they're doing in Sweden. That seems interesting. But you see, they don't look at it and go, well, that's a way to help the environment or be economically stable or any of these things. They just look at it and go, how do we, how do we benefit ourselves through this? And that's, that's where we are. We're, we're sort of, we're, (laughs) we're late stage African communism. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's what we've reached. All right. Uh, any comments on Jonathan's comments from you, Pums and you, Canton? <laughs> you know, we should never be disparaging a guy for speaking the truth. And uh, <laughs> can we talk about some of the more depressing highlights? <laughs> Of the budget speech, go ahead. Yeah, of, of, of the budget speech, because there, there were so yeah, you know, the crucial figure for me is that debt expenditure this year is going to be three hundred and sixty-six billion. So that we are spending a billion rand a day, guys, on interest payments. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. di- as a taxpayer, I'm done with that. I yeah. Mean, so <laughs> so just, let, let's let's just use that woke expression. Let that sink in. All right. <laughs> A billion rand a day that we are spending on debt. Now, if you go back not so long back, uh, I think it was Gwede who was saying that ESCOM's costing the economy um, a billion rand a day. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And, you know, my logic right now is that if ESCOM's costing us a billion uh, uh, rand a day, then surely we should be spending the billion rand a day so that at least we're earning the additional <laughs> billion and can actually grow the economy to some extent. But there's some stuff, guys, that just doesn't add up in terms of what Gonangwan has, uh, has been saying. Okay. Right. So one of the things that he says, for example, is that they are actually anticipating that they will have a main budget primary surplus in this uh, uh, coming year. Now, mm. I'm, I'm saying to myself, when the economy is losing a billion rand a day. How is that just possible? Exactly how do you intend achieving that? Because this this doesn't add up at all. You know, um, uh, you know sure, <laughs> on the assumption that you are actually expecting economic growth, then... Yeah, you could do that. If you're expecting it to come from better revenue collections, again, where are the better revenue collections going to come from? Because the economy is tanking. Okay, and people so, aren't working. And people aren't and working. And businesses are closing and down. And businesses are closing down. So, Well, we've, we've closed down most worry. of those businesses. Yeah. But but what I'm trying to say is that, that most of the stuff that Godangwana um, said yesterday, you know, his purported highlights for the budget framework, I'm calling BS on it. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that three quarters of the stuff that he said, he just said simply because no one's going to bother to fact check the guy. And in a year's time, we're going to say, oh yeah, well, you know, we did say we were going to have a surplus, but you know what? In fact, we increased the deficit, but that's okay because next year we're actually going to have a surplus. Yeah, but also he did say he's going to, the, the government debt is going to stabilize. Stabilize Look, guys, he's but he's got to, he's got to say this stuff. I, I mean, you realize that, right? We just had a rand slide of like fifteen percent in a week, all right, um, which happened because the the markets knew something we all didn't know, and they all are profit taking. Um, but but the point is, he's got to say he's got to say these things. They they all politicians, not in defence of Enoch, but all politicians globally need to say these things. Finance ministers generally are always going to say these typical sort of things. We're gonna we're gonna raise more. The economy is going to grow. We're going to stop uh, errant spending, and you know we're going to uh, decrease our debt. They say that in the United States, for example, and um, <laughs> you, know, you know how that's turned out, Canton. Oh yeah. So, all right. um, let me just ask you this because you kind of hinted at this already with these environmental things and, and ESG is the topic of the, of the moment in, in corporate South Africa and, and in corporations across the world. And I think, you know, it's amazing that like Greta Thunberg, who comes in for a lot of abuse on this show, I think rightfully so. Um, th- this ESG thing has become the sexiest topic in every company where there are a bunch of people who are trying to implement all kinds of first world ideas into the operation of businesses that are barely scratching, scratching an existence out. Um, it appears to me that these prerogatives, you know, the, the idea that you've got to be a company that reflects things that before were the province of politics. Are these things goals that we should be pursuing in South Africa? Are these things important to the economic and political and social development of this country? Or are they things that are being imposed on us from afar? Well, why not, ju- why not just... imposed from let, afar. No, let's just simply treat everything as an opportunity to loot, right? Doesn't that make more sense? Well, uh, that, that, that's diluted down what happens in a South African context. But, uh, you know, we're in the middle of Santon here. 
and the companies all around here who will all have ESG policies, um, they're not using it as a, as a as a reason to loot. They're doing it because this is what everyone in business is doing now. Remember King Four, was it? Um, you know, everyone in business was doing that for a while because that was the the, yeah, that the was sure thing to do. And and businesses do this because businesses, uh, for the most part, hire a whole bunch of extraneous people who they don't need to hire, who have nothing better to do. So they find them stuff to do. You know, public relations is a good example. Human resources is a good example. I mean, why do you need a human resources department for the most part? Um, you want to employ people and you want to fire them and you want to give them leave. But human resources departments are the biggest departments across all companies across the world. Um, that is unbelievable to me. Google, the largest department. You, you're saying we don't need sensitivity trading? Yeah. So, so this is this is the point. Is is generally useless people find useless things to do. Now, ESG obviously is an ideological thing which doesn't come from here at all. Um, and Gareth, you ask, is it important? Well, some people will say, well, it's very important. You know, we want to be socially aware. Um, we, there has to be good governance and ethics. Um, and of course, the environment, we care about the environment. And you know, at a very, um, sort of superficial level, you can say, well, those things do matter. Um, mm-hmm. the problem, and as I was discussing with someone the other day with regards to ESCOM is what matters more, right? So if I give you those options or I say a reliable energy supply, in the country, which one are you choosing? Now, surely reliable energy supply. But I'm being told um, by someone who's very senior in the Department of Energy um, that um, Barbara Creasy uh, from the Department of of, of the Environment um, is basically pushing ESG targets on ESCOM. So even if ESCOM was perfect and was running optimally, we would not be allowed to run most of our coal-fired power plants at their absolute capacity because Barbara Creasy is using European ESG guidelines to make sure that that doesn't happen. Now, now th- this country needs, you know, it's a Maslow of, it's a Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like we can discuss whether these social and, you know, these um, environmental things, how much they matter and how much we want to focus on them. But the reality is if we don't have people eating, <laughs> able to feed their families, having jobs and having energy to yeah. do that, which, by the way, is the only thing that's going to lift this country out of poverty at this stage, um, you need energy first. Starts there yeah. and then you can have all the other stuff. Um, th- that's a major problem. So, yeah, the ESG stuff. And look, I mean, if you want to get it, this is a, a whole nother show, but ESG is an ideological scam. Um, which, again, people haven't read history books uh, because uh, these are idealistic sort of, uh, again, I'm going to invoke socialist and communist goals. That's what that's where this comes from. That's what the ideology is. It's Marxist ideology. And it's forcing stuff down from the top. But when you have taken their money, you have to dance to their tune. And this is the thing about all of you were speaking about being in the middle of Santon and all of these companies around here mm. who are the shareholders and who are in the investors in those oh, companies. Sure. And th- this is where we are, you know, and it is not about what South Africa needs or what the big environmental problems in South Africa are. We talk about South Africa and scarce water resources in this country, but nobody talks about the issue of the Kalahadi growing exponentially every day. That's one of our biggest problems. Our problem is not about carbon emissions. Our problem is about desertification, but nobody has that conversation because that's not where the money comes from. So if you take their money, 
you're going to have to dance to their tune. Well, we just took almost $9 billion from the United States and the EU um, um, to well, decarbonize. We, yes. Maybe that's we, where our search is. We've borrowed the money. Just energy transition. We've borrowed see, that use, money. Exactly. Use words. That debt that well, we're talking about. Yeah, well, that's part of it, Pumi. But, but just to point something else out is you were saying, you know, even us worrying about being a carbon country. Should we be worrying about that? That's a question to be asked. You know, we have people worrying about Shell um, off the coast of the Cape uh, doing some 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 sort of um, uh, deep Seismic deep sea uh, exploration, and people yes. are worried about a few dead dead whales. Now, if you told me your options are a hundred dead whales, and then you get a, a, a few trillion rands over the next ten years um, from from Shell. Um, or you can have no dead whales and no trillions of rands. I'm taking the trillions of rands. It's the same as the Karoo. I uh, think the Karoo is pretty, but I would frack the hell out of the Karoo. Why? Because there is one of the largest deposits of natural gas under the Karoo. If we fracked the Karoo, we would make billions or even trillions of rands. This country would lift itself, assuming it didn't all get stolen. I know that's going to be the, the sort of caveat, but we could lift ourselves out of poverty almost overnight. Everyone in this country could go to a private school. Everyone and in this country could go to Harvard, in theory. And, you know? and every, yes, yeah, that's is, where the sovereign wealth right. fund would come from. But, but Jonathan, understand, here's the reason why we screwed in terms of being able to actually achieve that. If the ANC ends up doing the fracking stuff, they're going to steal it. If the DA gets into power, they're not going to frack because, you know, from their perspective, they want to do the CSG bullshit. So Mm -hmm. either way, Mm -hmm. we are screwed. Well, uh, yes. Let me just show you guys this quickly. This is an interesting, and and this may have some uh, relevance for the the topic that's at hand. It looks like a gun, but I promise you it's a graph. Uh, We've got... Positive trust in business versus positive trust in government on this chart. All right. And it looks at countries across the world. South Africa has the most positive trust in business and the least in government. Countries Saudi Saudi Arabia has the most trust in government and very little trust in business, mostly because everything is run by the government in Saudi Arabia. But the other countries that are in our sort of sphere here, we're talking about Mexico, Far more trust in business than in government, mostly because Mexican government officials like ours are crooks. Um, the U.S. and Japan are more trust in business than in government. And then Sweden, China, and a couple of others who have more more positive net trust in government. Any comments on this? Because it kind I, don't of fits- hear, I don't hear China and Russia featuring on this. China's a net five, net five points in the direction of government. But yes, well, any comments on this? Because it does, I think, pertain to these ESG rules as well. Look, I, we I guess these, Gareth, you know, seriously, who the fuck cares? Because, really? you know, does it actually make our lives better? The answer is no. You know, I, I think we spend a lot of time, you know, uh, talking about these surveys and, uh, and, you know, what people think about stuff. But, you know, fundamentally, what's going to make us work as a country is what we actually end up doing. It's got okay. nothing to do with what we think about stuff, you know. Yes, we can think Kumbaya by all means. I also think it's a false dichotomy, uh, you know, whether you trust your government or your businesses. I, you know, people in this country have long thought, well, government is corrupt, but businesses aren't. No, that's not how that works. Um, if you have a corrupt environment, then everyone has to operate corruptly in that environment. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the reality is our businesses are very corrupt. We know this from the ones who've been caught, and they're the few who've been caught. KPMG got caught being corrupt. You think mm-hmm. the other auditing firms are squeaky clean? Um, you no. think the Guptas got billions and trillions out of this country squeaky clean and all the other politicians? You know, that, that's, that, though, that's a naive thing to believe. Our businesses re- operate in this system, which is a corrupt system. They will obviously try and do things as much as they can not to get into trouble, certainly. But to say that uh, businesses in South Africa are not corrupt and the government is corrupt, that's not plausible in the kind of system we have. Look at the private companies who do like the window dressing stuff for the BEE side of things. What is that? That's corruption, right? You've looked at a law, you've gone, "Mm, we can't really deal with this law because we can't find the right person of the right shade skin color to run our business, we believe. Therefore, we're going to do Dual CEOs, for example, lots of companies do that. One black guy, one white guy, right? Yeah. Um, that's a completely irrational thing. I just want to respond, though, to something in the comments. People are like, well, if you do any of those, the fracking or the oil drilling or whatever, it'll all, it'll all get stolen. That's not how theft works, guys. Um, we have, why do you think our economy still functions? We have ANC caters who are stealing. Where do they put that money? Unlike Zelensky, they're not buying uh, chalets in Switzerland. They're spending that money at Louis Vuitton in Santon City. And there's a check, uh, there's a cashier who works at Louis Vuitton in Santon City who then takes the money she makes from being employed there and goes and buys food from checkers. So, and, and, and you can obviously multiply that out because that's how economies work. You can multiply that out by thousands and millions. Um, mm-hmm. so the reality is, is even in a, even in a, in a thieving economy, why is South Africa still functioning? How are we still functioning when our government steals almost everything, where they supply almost no services? How are we still functioning? How are there still wealthy people in this country? How do we still have a middle class that that is about 12 million people? How are we doing that? The way we're doing that is even stolen money re-enters the system. Correct. It just doesn't, it just doesn't come down. It doesn't trickle down the, the system the way it's kind of designed to in a non-corrupt system, but it doesn't mean that it gets taken all the way out unless you have a scenario like Angola where you have a ruling family who puts all the money into one bank account, those bank accounts are outside of the country and the expenditure of that stolen money never happens within your country. But we're very fortunate in South Africa that most of the people who are stealing like living here, like buying here, and like spending their money here. So we do still have an economy as a result of that. <laughs> That's such a good point. We should be, we should only really get worried once they start opening up Swiss bank accounts. Um, while we're so talking I- about... Yeah, go ahead, Poms. No, so just with the mention of Zelensky, it boggles my mind that this person could, in the space of a year, mm. squander so much goodwill. Like everybody in the world was on his side. And now... Except me. I was are. not. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you two were. You guys and are like now this. here we are, a year later. And he's of course, that makes me a Russian goodwill. chill, but guys. Do don't you know? Talk about it's the Russian woo. Well, because sure. of the fact that I, th- I think that Zelensky is corrupt, that makes me a Russian chill. Yeah, you must because, support Putin, therefore. Yeah, therefore man. I must support Putin. By yeah. the way, I must point out, Jonathan, in as much as the RAND tanked mm. um, while our finance minister was delivering his speech, the ruble strengthened time. during uh, Putin's <laughs> speech. Uh, well, I want to talk about the speech because... Uh, Catherine, you listened to the speech. Yes, Putin's wife. What do you make of Mr. Putin and what he had to say? 
Look, the most crucial takeaway from it was his withdrawing from the START treaty, which which was basically it's a, it's a nuclear non-proliferation treaty, and everyone is saying, "Oh, Putin is prepping for nuclear war." In fact, if you look at what the guy said, he says the preamble to the START treaty says that we are going to work in the spirit of mutual trust and goodwill towards uh, limiting nuclear weapons in the world. The United States, by what they have said in terms of wanting to effect regime change in Russia and uh, providing weapons to enemies in order to take down the Russian government, have effectively betrayed the terms of that agreement. And therefore, we are suspending participation in it because they have proved that they cannot be trusted. And at the point at which they prove that they can be trusted, we will then take a view that we're going to renew, uh, renew participation in it. Of course, the entire media take on it has been entirely different. They are saying that he's bracing himself to actually but now go out and use news. Yes. Hold on. I just want to bring in the, 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 the mainstream point of view. Why did, <laughs> why did Biden fly all the way to Ukraine and fall up and down the stairs of Air Force One <laughs> and, and, and go and visit Poland if, I mean, surely his intentions were good. I mean, maybe he's just, you know, he's making a statement there that America's there to back their ally. I mean, yeah, but li- just just listen to that narrative that was built up. Okay, it was a daring trip by Biden to go across there. No, actually, four hours before the Americans called uh, the Russians because they've got back channels. All right, they have to have back channels just to ensure that if the shit hits the fan, no one actually pushes the nuke button. And the back channel in this case is basically to say uh, to Putin, look. Biden's going to be visiting Ukraine over the next few hours. And so call off your airstrikes. Uh, and then did you see the fake uh, siren? <laughs> and then there were fake they, sirens. Yeah, they set yeah. off a fake raid siren. Yes, they fake, uh, so the Ukrainian then set off fake air raid sirens in Kiev. But hey, guess what? You know, there's the photo op of Biden and Zelensky strolling happily through the streets. And, 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 but you have to understand the holding yeah. hands that got me. Yes. And did you see that awkward hug? Well, you know, the bromance hug that, uh, and, well, the best. And then probably the best part was where Zelensky's standing there, um, like a little schoolboy and Biden sitting at a table signing something. And then the, the memes were when you're waiting for dad to give you your birthday check. Um, and, <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is perfect. But the mainstream media, Gareth, to come back to your point. Okay. They refuse to dwell on the fact that these back channels actually exist. They refuse to dwell on the fact that Putin has actually said that he's not going to take out Zelensky. Okay. And if you think about it, if he takes out Zelensky, Zelensky becomes a martyr. Okay. He actually needs Zelensky in power because Zelensky is the person who is going to have to surrender the country at some point. And trust me, he will actually end up surrendering the country. I do uh, think at at some point. Pumi's made a very good point here. He's squandered so much political goodwill across the world. Look, I didn't expect Jonathan Witt and Canton Pillay to, to jump on board the mainstream view. You guys are contrarian by nature, and I think that you often provide, which is why we like having you on the show, a different point of view. But he's really buggered this up, and I don't think the average American – I was talking to an American guy this week who said that the average American could give a damn about the Ukraine. They don't want to see that – dollars spent there. So I think that goodwill is running at an all-time low for Zelensky. I don't think it's looking as rosy for them as it was six months ago. I'm, I mean, is put me wrong? Am I wrong? 
this is the this is the issue of the 2024 elections in the United States. Without a doubt, um, this will be what people vote um, the next president of the United States based on, unless Biden brings us to a close, and I don't think he'll be able to do that. Um, nor does he want to. Um, you said, why did he go to the Ukraine? I mean, my, my sort of joking, half not joking uh, answer is because, you know, once in a while you have to go to your bank to check in on your, uh, on your account and your funds. You know, you can't just leave it for too long. Otherwise it might go dormant. Um, and remember, uh, Hunter Biden did major deals for the Biden family in Ukraine. Uh, and then that was there, there was that email about 10% for the big guy. Um, so, Ultimately, that'll come out probably once Biden's uh, dead and buried. It'll come out how corrupt he actually was. Um, but, but, uh, he went there. He went there to try and be a statesman. Um, Biden is no statesman. Um, and, uh, you know, the people, what's that? He's barely sentient. Yeah. Well, he's barely anything, but, um, the, the reality is, is, Canton's 100% right. You know, you can look at everything in an idealistic fashion. You can look at the, the real politic or the reality of, of the situation. And the reality of this situation is that, uh, Putin has no choice but to try and win this war. That's what he wants to do. Uh, the minimum he's going to accept is basically some sort of withdrawal whereby he gets Donetsk, Luhansk, and a, a little bit of other territory. And um, that's what he will take. And then I mean, he'll stand down. He'll sell that to the Russian people as a win. Um, the, the, uh, Ukrainians, uh, their best case scenario is to end up somewhere with, with, with something like that and be left alone by the Russians with new borders drawn and an agreement, um, a non-aggression type agreement. Um, and that's, that's, that's their best case scenario. The problem you have is that the U.S.'s best case scenario, the people in their state department see the best case scenario as toppling Putin. That's what they want out of this war. They want to weaken the America, the Russian military to the point that Putin falls. Um, and that is an incredibly dangerous game to play. Um, unfortunately, the lawmakers in the U.S. are going along with it because there's a whole bunch of tie-in that happens between those lawmakers and the companies that make weapons. Um, so that's a lot of the money laundering that's going on. We send half a billion dollars to the Ukraine today. It comes back tomorrow to Lockheed Martin and other uh, Boeing and other companies. Uh, Nancy Pelosi holds 30% of her stocks in those companies. And what do you know? Um, I'm a little bit richer than I was yesterday. Um, and th- none of this is a conspiracy theory. It's all there. It's open. Um, so that's the, the real danger. The real danger is, is that the United States, um, their, their, their policy currently and certainly their State Department policies that they do not want this war to end. Can you remember a conflict in the last 30 to 40 years where in the first year of an open armed conflict, there has been no attempt at peace negotiations? Not one attempt, nothing. That has no. not happened. Not between Ireland and the uh, Northern Ireland. That they were trying on peace talks all along. Israel and the surrounding territories, peace talks all along. Mm. Um, you, every single skirmish and conflict we've had in the last thirty to forty years, that is the first thing the leaders try to do: peace. We want to get UN peacekeepers on the ground. We want to have peace talks, but nothing with this Ukraine war. Why is that? And the answer is quite simple. People don't want it to end. Those who are controlling and in charge of it. Are we ready to admit that America is the bogeyman and not Putin? <laughs> well, it's the military industrial complex, basically. And most <laughs> Americans America's are completely clueless. That's yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's fascinating to listen to this because the, the conversation 
is always America always comes out of these things looking like the good guy. And well, it's because we have media shills in this country who, you know, happily end up parroting that particular line. And, you know, and, and I'm going to call out people very specifically. So, you know, Peter Bruce is one of those media shills, you know, oh, yeah. who thinks that the worst possible thing that could happen right now is a Russian victory. Um, the entire crew. The Russians the, have already won. Yeah. The entire crew of the Daily Maverick, they, they do exactly the same thing. And, and look, you can understand in the case that there is actually money that flows into you know, the, the greater journalists. No, from, but it's, from it's, the it's not only Yosef. that. It's, yeah. Remember, it's the moral argument, right? The, 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 so there's an ideological argument, but they, they don't make that argument. They make a moral argument. It's the same as the environment, right? So the minute you go, I'm not interested in ESG, for example, they turn around and go, but don't you care about the environment? And it's the same here. If you go, um, you know, this war is dumb and it needs to end. And if Ukraine needs to surrender some territory, then that's the real reality of what needs to happen. They turn around and go, well, you support Putin, as you mentioned. Um, and they sort of accuse you of supporting the aggressor. And the problem is that's not how the world works. So I think Putin is the aggressor here. I think he was wrong to invade another country. I also acknowledge that, unfortunately, the history of humanity is one littered with war. And in war, some people are victors and some are losers. Sometimes the people you want to win and sometimes not. In this instance, the power is is Russia. The West should have stopped Putin from ever entering Ukraine. Right, they had over eighteen months to do that. And my point is that if Trump had been in power, this would never have happened. This would never have happened because uh, immediately at the point at which Putin um, crossed over into the Donbass, Trump would have had troops on the ground. Come hello, high water, and he would have put a lot of heavy military on the border, which they did. All they right, weaponry, which yes. never all right, hmm. we're going we're gonna to save that. I just want to bring a poll into this because we've introduced <laughs> this now as a regular thing. So I put up a poll, which we will go live with in just a couple of seconds. And if you're on YouTube, you can vote in this. We want to have your vote. The war in Ukraine rages on. A, Russia will win. B, the Ukraine will win. C, other forces want the war to continue. Or D, South Africa will broker peace. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we want to see your votes on this. Go and vote at uh, our well, YouTube. South Africa did technically broker peace in the Irish conflict, guys. Let, let's not forget that. Okay, and and, and shout out to Ruth Mayer for actually pulling. That Jacob out. Zuma played. Uh, Jacob Zuma played a huge role in in uh, you know his his extraordinary di- diplomatic abilities came to came to bear in uh, Rwanda. Let's not and forget. Burundi, yes, absolutely. Burundi. Yeah. So and we didn't have load shedding in 2018. I'm just yes. putting it out there. Yeah, uh-huh. that's right. <laughs> right. So we're all, Zuma. we're all big fans of Zuma and we're all big fans of Trump. Okay, so let's just turn our attention to something else that's going on on the continent because so, seldom does Africa get the attention it deserves. And really, we should be looking at Nigeria because they have already um, overtaken us in terms of economic growth. Not surprising. And by the way, this was sent through uh, just the other day. There's a chart of South Africa's real economic growth since the 1960s. And uh, we can comment on that just now. But, but Nigeria is, is facing its elections that are coming up in Canton. You wanted to bring that into the discussion because Nigeria yeah, isn't. It's, 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 it's the kind of stuff that, uh, it, it falls between the cracks exactly like you said, uh, Gareth. And, hmm. you know, Nigeria is holding yeah, presidential poll, elections Saturday. this Saturday. Yeah, they're going to the polls. Now there's a couple of interesting things in terms of the way in which these elections are being played out. So firstly, Nigeria is like massive. It's 220 million people in the country. 
But, you know, how many registered voters? They have 93, 93, million. 93 million registered voters. So that, you know, immediately there's a kind of disconnect uh, in terms of that. They have been trying to get a, a, a massive increase in the number of... Uh, Seven times more than vote, yeah. Yeah, but Jonathan, no, 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 I remember, no, no, no. okay, we've got registered voters <laughs> who don't bother to vote, which yes. is a different thing. Correct. You know, as opposed to, uh, yeah, we had 11 million people who didn't vote in the last election, but they were registered mm-hmm. voters, you know, who just, you know, couldn't be bothered to actually pitch up. So Buhari is going to be out because he served um, eight years, but, you know, also he's uh, basically unpopular. Now, interest, there are 18 candidates that are, uh, are vying for the for the position of uh, of president of the country, okay. So, but it it basically drills down to to three main candidates, okay. So, you've got uh, uh, a guy named Tulube Tinubu. Um, he's uh, uh, Bola Ahmed Tinubu. He's from the All Progressives Congress Party. He's the former governor of Lagos State. Which means that he he's like fairly. Uh, what does progressive mean in Nigeria? Entirely different context. <laughs> it's entirely different context from the US. Yeah, he, but he's but, also from Buhari's party. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. But he's yeah. Well, he's not from. He was the the person who actually steered Buhari into power. Okay. Now his election slogan, okay, is "It's my turn." <laughs> Okay, seriously, that's his election slogan. I like it. He's a guy who's also... He's also 76. He's 76. So it's his turn. Yeah. He's about to die. He's fucking I mean. six years old. Okay. Wait, uh, he's, he's called the godfather of Lagos. Can, All right. Captain, first, yeah. I think this is... Because I remember when I first heard this in the 90s, and I, I think it was one of um, the the elections with... Uh, thing is, uh, what was his name? It was it Obasanjo? Obasanjo mm-hmm. won one of those, and it was the first time that I heard about how the the Nigerian system. So there's a a rule in Nigeria, rule kind of unspoken that it 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 uh, oscillates between the no, a northern candidate from the Nigerian north, predominantly uh, Muslim, Muslim, or the south. So mm. Buhari came from the north, and so now the unspoken rule is that the next president must come from the south. Which is where uh, he's from the southwest, I think, uh, Tinubi, and no, he's yeah. he's south from the southwest. Yeah, but he's he's still, uh, 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 but he's Yoruba basically, yeah. and, and and so, but in in terms of population groups that are voting this election, so they they like the single biggest block. They mm. make up like twenty one percent of the population. Okay, but the crucial thing is that he's known as the godfather of Lagos for very good reason because of the fact Ooh. that he, he, he actually dispenses money and he dispenses, uh, I would assume, punitive justice <laughs> as well. He's very famous for the fact that in previous elections, he would actually be distributing gold bullion to people. And this was done openly. The bullion trucks were pitching up at his home and, uh, um, and he openly flaunts this. This, this, this is, so I, this is ANC get... T-shirts to the next level, right? <laughs> so this... Absolutely. Okay. So <laughs> and the thing that they're trying to 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 try no, no, just let, let me just go through let me just go through a couple of others. So that's the Godfather of Lagos. Then you've got Atiko Abubakar. Okay, he's from the People's Democratic Party, former vice president. Okay, he's Fulani, so there's six percent of the population. Um, yep. And he is from the north, and he is Muslim. Yeah. But uh, he wants to turn Nigeria into a crude oil refining hub, which is an excellent idea because 
you know, there's oil that gets produced throughout the continent, mm-hmm. but it refining, has to be moved yeah, it has to, to be refine. moved elsewhere to be refined. So that's actually a great point. But of course, um, Abu Bakr was also implicated in an international bribery scandal. Of course, mm-hmm. these things never get to court because they just could simply get tied up in processes. And then the last guy, uh, Peter Obi from the Labour Party, okay, he's Igbo, which makes up about 18% of the population. And he's the youngest of the three, and, and he's 61 he's years 61, old. 61, Yeah, okay. And, but he's a Catholic. now. But again, this guy was named in the Pandora Papers as having broken laws. Business All right, but Kevin, do we yeah. think any world leader currently, anyone who rises to power, isn't in, at some level corrupt? I mean, have we at least shed that now as a belief um, you know, this idea that, that anyone in the world who rises to a position of power is, is, is sort of some sort of pure entity or is like you and me follows the you law see, we have, we for have, the most part. There, there are levels of, there's legal corruption, which I don't have a problem with. Okay. So, so Trump, we all know that he, he avoids tax by every conceivable means possible. Yeah. He tax, he tax avoids, which and, is perfectly and, and fine. And I'm fine with that. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, some people think of that as corruption, but you know, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. You know, Trump hasn't bribed foreign governments, um, even though people have actually tried. I think to he find- might have bribed foreign governments to build a hotel somewhere. I think that's entirely possible that Trump bribed foreign <laughs> Nicholas, governments. Nicholas to do Sturgeon, that. yeah, I mentioned think, that. But, but look, I think that there's a, a couple of things. Just talking about the Nigerian election that we that's interesting for me, and that draws very fascinating parallels to what South Africa is going through as well. Because, you know, so Peter Obi being the outsider, even though there are 18 candidates, being the outsider and, you know, the Labour Party being a relatively obscure um, kind of party in the space and how quickly he's risen up. Also buoyed by the fact that there are a lot of young Nigerians who are tired of all the old guys. I mean, we've got a 70-year-old and we've got a 76-year-old. This guy, even though he's old at 61, he's relatively mm. young. And mm. what what he... What he represents for a lot of young Nigerians is a departure of the, from the same old. So we, there is definitely an understanding in Nigeria that there's nothing they're going to do about the levels of corruption. But what they're hoping for, I think, that the young people are hoping for, mm-hmm. which is what we're seeing in South Africa as well, is we're seeing a lot more young people wanting to come into the space and be part of the, the change. That, that is happening in the country. And that's also why all these new parties are making an inroad, right? So PA, the Patriotic Alliance, no matter what you think of them, if you think about Rise and Zanti and what they're talking about and the noises that Musimai Mane is making as well. These are the things that, mm. for me, watching what's going to happen in Nigeria over this coming weekend is going to be very fascinating. So you're sounding vaguely hopeful in terms of this guy. But you can't be mm. hopeful, though. Let me tell you. You know why? Because the, <laughs> the Labour Party in Nigeria is a Social Democrat Party. Exactly. Right. And a Social Democrat Party um, will just be terrible for Nigeria, no better, than, certainly, than, than they currently have. You see, this is, this is the problem, is we were discussing... Uh, and this is, we have the same problem in South Africa. And in general, we have, we have this problem globally. The Americans, funnily enough, are the only ones who don't have this problem. Um, so, so when, when Nigerians go to the polls, um, they seem to be voting for a guy. They vote for a candidate. We do the same kind of stuff. We either vote for the party that we've always voted for or, or, or like for historical reasons, um, from a, just the, the brand perspective, um, or, um, you know, we vote, we, people are just voting for, 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 for that, that broader idea. Um, and the, the issue is, is that nobody sort of sits back and goes, right, what do I believe personally? 
How do I mm-hmm. behave in my personal life at home? And how does this party feel about those things? What would they do on those things? So go vote for some guy who's younger. Great. And he's a social Democrat. Great. And now you have ESG in, in, in Nigeria. Well done. You know, that's, that, that's not going to serve you. We have the same problem in South Africa. South Africans are social conservatives. If you poll South Africans, they poll socially conservative. They behave like Republican Americans. That is what the majority of South Africans are, like it or not. I'm not necessarily a social conservative, but I recognize that that's what the majority of this country is. Yeah. The problem is, is when people get into that voting booth, they don't go, is the ANC socially conservative? Do they believe socially conservative things? Not by, yes. based on any way they've behaved in the last 30 years. The DA, do they believe in socially conservative things? No, they don't. No, they don't. You, you know, the, the, the reality is, is what do I believe economically? So do I believe that I tell my child that they should just kind of um, not do too well and don't focus on school, don't pay too much attention to the teacher. You don't need to work hard. Life will just give you stuff. Is that what I teach my child? Or do I teach them you need to work hard for everything you get in life? Then when you go into that voting booth, why are you voting for the party that believes in um, it, it, things like employment equity? Why are you voting for that party? You don't teach your own children that, but you then vote for that party. So, you know, so, these, these, are, these are parts of the problems we have globally. I, mean, I, I hate to like sound like a stuck record about this, but this is where you get the government you deserve. If you're not going to think these things through and you're not going to ask yourself those hard questions, which I suppose the most of, most of our country doesn't bother with those questions, then you're going to get exactly what you get. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, th- I mean, I know we've come from the Nigerian issue, but I, it sounds to me like they're voting for a guy. And we do the same thing in this country. We vote for a guy or a party. But we right. don't actually, most people don't read, Pumi reads the manifestos, actually reads them. She knows what these parties represent. So assumptively, she's one of the few people who, when she steps into the voting booth and puts a tick next to something or a cross next to something, she knows why she's doing that. My view is that most people don't know that. I said the Americans are an exception because the Americans have been so boxed into certain categories. So it's very clear what you believe if you're a Republican. It's very clear what you believe if you're a Democrat. Well, you have to state when you register to vote. If you Well, but they have independence, right? So there's about 30% independence. But yeah. even those independents know what they believe, and then there will be swing issues. And that's how the elections get decided because you have independence swinging between issues because people know what they personally believe and who they're voting for, what that person or party represents. Um, and, and so that's a major problem we have in this country. Until we get people to align their personal lives and their personal beliefs with the party they vote for, not just this was a liberation party, not just Helen Sussman started this party, not just um, this is a Christian democratic party, and I'm a Christian, not just those things, looking broadly at what does this party believe, what do they want to do, and would I do the same thing in my life? I mean, the parties don't tell us what they really believe much of the time because they realize that doesn't get them front-page coverage. And I think this is part of the problem, too. Like Canton said just now, if you vote for the DA in the next election, you have to assume that the DA are also on board with stuff like this ESG stuff, which we've discussed at length this morning. And if they are, I can't support them. I didn't like the DA's reaction to COVID in the beginning. I thought it was rubbish. I still think Alan Windy is a major problem. And Alan I Windy couldn't is a male version of Jacinda Ardern. Correct. 
So I couldn't vote for them. So when people criticize the DA, they go, well, it's the best, next best option. Actually, I'm starting to think maybe there are other parties that do that a little bit better and that, that stand for there a more cohesive There's certain point. cancers you would like to get over other cancers. So, yes, there's always <laughs> next best options. Hey, we didn't bring you here for your medical advice, but okay. You want prostate more than you want lung. Very That's much true. So. And you definitely do not want pancreas. No. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, any, any kind of closing? First of all, Canton, what the hell is this? Canton brought this into the, uh, the agenda for this morning. Yes, we have an, we have an agenda on this show, believe it or not, but it's more <laughs> things we want to discuss rather than things we want to push down your throats. Canton wants us to talk about Transnistria. What the hell is, I, I'll admit right out front, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Why should we care about this? Well, you, you, to start off, you need to go back to, um, around about the time of World War Two, uh, And you know, during World War Two, basically you had the Romanians who supported the Nazis, okay? Yeah. And then you had the Russians who were basically, you know, 26 million of them were killed by the Nazis. And then eventually when the Allies purportedly won the war and there was this major partitioning that created the framework for Europe as we know today, uh, the Romanian people were split into a couple of chunks. So there was one chunk that went into what became uh, Romania proper. The other chunk went into what became Moldova. And Moldova right. was one of the um, uh, the Soviet states uh, in terms of the way in which things were, were carved off. But on the far eastern side of Moldova, there was a, a, a tiny strip Okay, it's around about the size of, of Biden's home state of Delaware. And they said, no, we actually don't want to be part of these, uh, these Romanians. And, uh, we actually see ourselves as an independent country. So they carved themselves out as an independent country, but basically, uh, and they functioned more or less as a semi-autonomous state up until the time that communism collapsed. And Remember at that time, Gorbachev was basically uh, kowtowing to everything that the West uh, pretty much wanted to do. Right. And so Moldova ended up becoming an independent country. But Transnistria, which is the strip to the east, kind of fell through the cracks. So, but, so they declared themselves to be an independent country, but no one else declared, declared them to be an independent country. But they actually, for all intents and purposes, have been. It's and, all the rich people. Yeah, but they have been an independent country for all okay. intents and purposes. And so the Russians then have had permanent troops on the ground in Transnistria, this little strip on the eastern side of Moldova, for um, the past 30 years. So there's something like 1,500 Russian troops out there. But more importantly, there are massive arms caches from the, the former Soviet Union that are still out there. Now, Zelensky is now assembling troops on the border of, uh, of Transnistria, uh, presumably with a view to actually invade Transnistria and to take control of the armaments that are sitting out there. So, and there's only 1500 Russian troops that are actually guarding it. Meanwhile, um, over the past couple of weeks, the, um, the US has effectively engineered a soft coup again in Moldova, and they've put in place a new prime minister who is very sympathetic to the Zelensky idea of wanting to join Ukraine, Europe, wanting to join NATO. Mm -hmm. We've seen this playbook before. Okay. Yeah. Meanwhile, there are protests on the streets of Moldova because the majority of them are 
Moldova people actually saying, no, we don't want to go the way of Ukraine. We'd rather just join with Russia. But okay. also, it's the mystery. Didn't they have also in their undeclared country a referendum? And they also believe themselves. They want to be either independent country or they want to be part of Russia. Quite right, yes. But uh, but the important thing right now is that, so this comes back to what, you know, Jonathan was saying earlier, you know, that Putin will probably um, agree to a ceasefire if he's given the Donbass regions. Well, he's going to insist that Zaporizhia is part of that as well because they held a referendum. But I'm saying that that's, he's not going to be satisfied with just those three pieces. He's actually going to insist on taking the entire coastline because then he yeah. can actually wrap the coastline all the way up to Transnistria and so effectively end up with this U-shaped bulge beneath Ukraine proper. And and I suspect at that point uh, thereafter, if the, uh, the Moldovan government right now does not want to call elections, people are wanting them to call elections. If they call elections, mm-hmm. they're going to vote to be part of Russia. But the next phase of this conflict, and remember that Biden met with the Moldovan president and prime minister in Poland. Right. And so the, and so the next phase of this conflict is going to be the Ukrainians mm. purportedly with permission from Moldova now invading Transnistria to reunite Transnistria with Moldova proper. Well, they better do it quickly. Yes. But, because... but at the same time, Putin mm. has revoked a decree that he issued in 2012 that said that he would actually respect the territorial integrity of Moldova. Yeah, well, if they attack him, he's going to go. He's going to go all out, right? Exactly. And I say they better do it quickly for two reasons. They've got about six months of uh, sort of spring summer coming up, in which they can actually be effective on yep. the ground. Um, that's number one. And number two, by the time twenty twenty four comes, uh, this is all over. Because, as I said, this will be the mo- the biggest topic for the uh, presidential election. If if this war is still ongoing and they are funneling money to the you know, to the Ukraine, um, and these these proxy wars um, come twenty twenty four primaries, Trump walks away with it. Um, I see there's some comments about DeSantis. I'm sorry, guys, DeSantis ain't beating Trump, uh, not in Ohio or any of those states. We'll see about Super Tuesday. <laughs> It'll be interesting. Um, but uh, but but this will be the topic. And if Biden doesn't want to, or any Democrat doesn't want to lose in uh, one of the biggest um, sort of whitewashes in history, um, then they need to de-escalate this war by uh, probably February 2024. Um, anything thereafter, the American populace is going to be um, very very anti. Um, and uh, mail in voting and uh, harvesting aside. Um, this, uh, this policy will end the, the 2024 democratic campaign. So they've got, they've got six months to do it. They've got until basically October. So I just want to get to the poll results because we've only got about a minute left of this. The question was the war in the Ukraine rages on. A, Russia will win. B, Ukraine will win. C, other forces want the war to go on. Or D, South Africa will broker peace. Believe it or not, 16%. That's more than thought the Ukraine would win. Thought South Africa would broker peace. <laughs> so um, that leaves the Russians. Two categories. Eat the Russians at the at the war games. Twenty-two percent of people said Russia will win, but the majority, fifty-two percent, said the other forces want the war to go on, and we will continue raging on on the burning platform. 
next week. Uh, Jonathan Witt, always good to have you on. Thank you very much for saying things as clearly as you do. Canton, we will catch up with you in another couple of days' time. And Pumi will be back with me next week, Thursday, for more. If you've got any suggestions, any ideas, any things you want us to tackle in the burning platform, any guests that you want us to have, let us know. You can get hold of us at contact at cliffcentral.com. All right, everybody, have a good Thursday. Cheers. Cliffcentral.com.